that audience to this service today. It's always a joy to be able to preach directly to those who do attend and then many who cannot and who live in other countries of the world have an opportunity to tune in to this church as we broadcast every Sunday. This is a special day. If you have not noticed, it's Mother's Day. Now smile. Isn't that right? Today is Mother's Day. I found out a long time ago every day's Mother's Day. Yes, sir. Now, the only folk having trouble with this occasion today are the idiots in Washington, D.C. Huh? Because they don't have mothers anymore. And they don't have daddies anymore. They said everybody just exactly alike. But I'm glad here in the South we still celebrate Mother's Day. And we're so glad to have you with us today. Some of you are members of our church. Others of you are visiting with us because you have members in this church or have children in this church. And we're just delighted to welcome you to this service. Indeed, I never, never cease to forget about my mom. My mom, my mother was a disciplinarian, if that means anything to you. My dad was a man of mercy, but my mama was the disciplinarian. And I tell you, she yielded a sharp sword. But she taught me so many things at the time I thought was a waste, and at the time I thought was foolishness. She taught me good manners. She taught me how to say, well, thank you very much. She taught me to say, yes, sir. No, ma'am. And even to this day when I go into the post office, some of the lady workers in the post office, they're about 20 or 30 years my junior. (laughs) And... uh, Whatever they do for me, whether I'm buying stamps or whatever it might be, I always say, thank you, ma'am. That's not just a southern expression. That's manners. Learning how to recognize people and learning how to appreciate people. And we're so delighted to have you here today in this service. My wife is the mother of my children. I had a music director one time. It wasn't Roger Johnson. All right. Clear that from your mind. He's capable of a lot, but not not to that. Anyway, I had a music director time on, on Mother's Day. He, he got up, he introduced his, he was a new member of our staff, and he had just recently been married, Brother Chuck, And he said, I'd like to introduce to you my wife. He said, now this is Mary, and this is a woman's going to bear all our children. Everybody got the idea as Mother's Day back then, you know. Uh, But we're so delighted to have you here. We certainly are, and we pray. My dear wife, I cannot say enough about her being the mother of our children. Uh... We've had about 69 years together. 
I couldn't find anybody else would help me. She's the only one. And uh, I love her with all of my heart. And so do our children. And they respect her. And that's good. That's good. I'll try to get over the tear jerking in just a minute. All right. I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. The 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. It's 12 verses, but they are powered, punched, each one. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He'll prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. I've chosen for a text, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
There is not much gospel being preached today. That is the reason why I wanted to preach it today. The proclamation of the gospel. Not a proclamation of the gospel, but the proclamation of the gospel. I do not know of any other passage of scripture in the Bible concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ that so clearly delineates and goes into detail of what the gospel is all about. And we need the proclamation of the gospel. I heard a preacher on television yesterday make this statement. He said, and it was in the form of an advertisement, but he said, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, if you'll notice carefully, he stretched out his arms And he said, Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I thought to myself, what blasphemy. Do you know why his arms were stretched out on the cross? It was because they were nailed to the cross. And if you really want to know what he said when he hung on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's a whole lot of difference in the gospel of the Bible than the so-called quote-unquote gospel that's being taught and pushed out today as being right and being true. I do not know of a better passage in the Bible that so depicts that as this 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. This is one of the clearest and most detailed prophecies of the gospel set forth in the word of God. It actually begins with chapter number 52, verses 13 through 15, which says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they have not heard shall they consider. Beautiful passage of Scripture. Isaiah, this 52nd chapter, verses 9 and 10 make it clear that God will not only redeem Jerusalem, but there will be a redeemed people among Gentiles from all over the world. Look at that verses 9 and 10 of chapter 52. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now, how will this be accomplished? 
It will be accomplished by means of God's servant, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll notice carefully again in chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, speaking about the Messiah. Now the Messiah is the chosen one that God was going to send into the world to save his people from their sins. And there had been arguments throughout the scripture of who this man would be, who this Messiah would be. Clearly the scripture teaches it would be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 13, chapter 52, 13, 14, and 15, notice that verse 13 and verse 15 are interrupted with verse 14. In verse 13, he's talking about exaltation. The Lord will be exalted. He'll be honored. He'll be glorified. In chapter number, in verse number 15, he's talking about the salvation of people all over the world. Not everybody being saved, but all tribes, all people, all families, Gentiles will also be shut, brought in. But it will be interrupted by the verse 14, which speaks of his humiliation. His humiliation. They wanted to hear his exaltation. They wanted to hear his salvation, but they had a tough time wrestling with his humiliation. As many as were astonished at thee. And may I say that when Christ hung on the cross, many had their mouths open. They'd never seen anything or heard anything quite like what was depicted at Calvary. As many were astonished at thee, his visage, Speaking of the Messiah that God is sending, his visage, his appearance was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. In other words, in hanging on the cross, he looked more like a slain animal than he looked like a human being. It's what I say, we've got a false gospel today. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching the humiliation of Jesus Christ and why he was so humiliated. But the humiliation would come first. And it would follow by his exaltation in verse number 13. And finally the purpose of it is so that there would be salvation all over the world from different peoples, tribes, families, and so forth because of what he would do on the cross of Calvary. He'll be humiliated, he'll be exalted, and he will be the Savior. There are two questions raised in our text, which is chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Two questions. Who hath believed our report is one of them. The other one is to whom the Lord has revealed himself. And the second one answers the first one. Who's going to believe this report? 
Who's going to believe that Jesus Christ will be so humiliated he'll look more like an animal than a human being? Who's going to believe that? Why, if you said he's coming on a white horse in victory to establish a reign on this earth, everybody said that sounds pretty good to me. But to talk about the humiliation of Christ, who hath believed our report? Look at that question first. Number one, who hath believed our report? The report here is a message. It is tidings. It is news. I do not know in the educational system whether this is practiced today among teachers and students or not. But I tell you, when I was going to school, every once in a while they'd give us a report card. You know what a report card was? It's to let your mama and your daddy know how sorry you were. And they had little words, or either better than that, they had little initials or letters. Uh, if, if it was all right, in a certain sense, let's take the subject of English, uh, put an S by that, that's satisfactory. But if there was a U on your report card, it was unsatisfactory. They started off saying just a failure, but I believe maybe the school board got hold of them and said, that's a little tough. Can you lighten it up a little bit? It's a little unsatisfactory. Now, my teachers on my report card, uh, they'd say, we're so sorry. We're just so sorry. We did the best we could. He's a failure. He's a flop. And they were quite right. But a report card. When's the last time you got a report card from the Lord? How are you coming along on that? How are you doing that? The report is a message of tidings or news. We find in the New Testament it comes from a word meaning good news. The coming of Jesus Christ as God's Messiah. But this report. Who hath believed our report? Not many. Compared to the population of the world today, not many have received this report. And it is received if you preach it or present it from a populist side that Jesus just wants to save everybody. He wouldn't harm a fly on your head for anything in the world. He just is love, love, love. And we're dying of diabetes in our churches today. He was humiliated. Who hath believed our report? It was a report of Joshua and Caleb to the Israelites, which disbelieved. They made this report to Moses. Moses sent twelve spies into Canaan to spy out the land. When the twelve spies came back, ten of those spies said, It's a lost cause and we better go a different direction. Because they're bigger than we are. They can kill us in a minute. We, we better not go anymore into Canaan. But two men, Joshua and Caleb said, we can take it. But it was report. But it was report that was disbelieved. And as a result, the children of Israel wandered in Israelite wanderings for 40 years because they wouldn't believe God. But it was a report. It was a report. It was a report of Daniel to Belshazzar, which was disbelieved. In Daniel chapter number 5, Belshazzar 
made a great party and invited hundreds of people there. And while they were eating and while they were drinking, and by the way, they brought in the vessels of God that they had taken from Jerusalem and they used it to fill up with their alcoholic beverages and they were having just a drunken orgy going on and all of a sudden there was a finger appeared on the wall and it wrote in Hebrew a certain message, Mene, Mene, Tekel, you farson. And Belshazzar said, who in the world can interpret that? And somebody said, bring Daniel in. He claims to know the God of the Bible Bring Daniel in. Daniel came in and said, it means this. Thou art weighed in the balances and you're found wanting. Now that was the answer to the report on the wall. Did they believe it? No, they did not. People don't believe it today. The report is the message. It's the the tidings. It's the message given. Now, the report is the gospel. And the gospel is what you read in the verses we've read for you this morning in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 is the gospel of the Old Testament. Nowhere in your Bible do I believe it's more clearly presented than Isaiah 53, but it is the gospel in the Old Testament. The gospel was not invented in the New Testament, my dear friends. It was planned before the foundations of the world. And God put it in his book, this blessed book we call the Holy Scriptures. Every page speaks of the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The report is the gospel. Let me give you a reference here. In Romans chapter 10, verse 16... The Bible says they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, he's quoting from the New Testament, and the New Testament writer is quoting from Isaiah 53. They've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, who hath believed our report? Not too many believe the report of Scripture, the truth of God's blessed word, Concerning the gospel. Now the report is to be believed. It is designed to be believed. I believe it. God settles it. That settles it. God said it. It is to be believed. Not necessarily to be understood. Though we can understand parts of the gospel. I believe we'll maybe spend eternity figuring out what all the gospel involved. And it involves so much. But it's not necessarily to be understood or to be able to explain it, but believe it. Do you believe the gospel of how the Lord saves sinners and how men are brought to Him? The gospel is not the church. The church is the bride of Christ but is not the gospel of Christ. The merits of men who try reformation and try to improve their lifestyle by stopping the bad things and starting the good things, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not what you do, irregardless of how sincere you may be about it. The gospel is what Christ did for you 
on the cross of Calvary. And that is the only way that man can be saved. And apart from the gospel, there is no salvation. Who hath believed our report? It's to be believed. And the report of it is such nature that it must be believed by faith and not by sight. It is not being impressed with Christ because look how many people he healed or impressed with certain things that he did as a human being, but it is to be received by faith that what he did was my only way of salvation. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 32 and following. Let me read that passage for you. In John chapter number 12, verses 32 through 38. The Lord is speaking. He said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, he's not talking about universal salvation there. All men means Jews and Gentiles all over the world. This is, he saying, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? We've heard that Christ will he'll live forever. And yet you're talking about a, a Messiah that's going to die? How can this be? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. Therefore, they could not believe. He has to be approached by faith, what he did by faith, because what he did by sense doesn't make sense. If he is the Son of God, and if he is King of kings and Lord of lords, what in the world is he doing on the cross? That's a hard one to reconcile to. You cannot really lightly skirt humiliation and, and say, well, it's easiest... I've heard it said, salvation's easy as ABC. No, it's the most difficult thing in the world you'll experience. Because it flies in the face of all the rational and logic there is, and you've got to accept it by faith. What is faith? It's believing what God says and acting like it. This is why we have a suffering Savior rather than a militant ruler. There will be few to believe this report because of his humiliation. The Jews expected the Messiah to appear militantly and victoriously. So the cross became a stumbling block to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 18, 
through 23. The Bible says this, For the preaching of the cross, for the preaching of the cross, is to them that perish foolishness. I had a fellow one day say, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. You mean God gave his son and, and the son was crucified? That's, that's foolishness. No, the, the word of God predicted what the world would say about it. But unto us that are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And they stumbled over it. It became a stumbling block. It was foolishness to the Gentiles. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. What was the stumbling block? His humiliation. Peter tried to prevent Christ from going to Jerusalem. Do you remember that story? Christ said he was going down to Jerusalem to die. And Peter rebuked him for it. He said, you'll never do that. I'm going to see to it that you don't do that. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. Why did not Peter want him to go to Jerusalem? Because he was going to die on a cross. And I don't want a king that's going to die on a cross. It's all right to have him militantly ruling all right. But if he's got to die on the cross, I've got to rethink that. When the Lord Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, none knew who he was. Now the children responded to it well, waving the palm branches. But many of the adults raised the question when they saw Christ riding on the foal of an ass. They said, who is this? In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, in the Old Testament, listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. He's lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. But instead of accepting him, they said, who is this? Doesn't look too much like a ruler to me. Doesn't look too much like a king to me. He's not the kind of Messiah we've been hoping that God would send one day. Who is this man riding into Jerusalem? A passage and a verse that we like in Baptist churches in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house or many mansions. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You know why they were troubled? It's because they didn't understand. Even one of the disciples said, where are you, tell us where you're going because we don't, we, don't, we don't understand what this is all about. What is it they were stumbling over? His humiliation. 
after the resurrection, if you study Acts chapter number 1, there's one thing they really wanted to know. They wanted to know when he'd set up his kingdom. Read it. They were more concerned about that than what he had done to keep them out of hell. Who hath believed our report? I have some friends who are Arminians and they're just as wrong as they can be. And most of my ministry was given to Arminianism before God showed me his power and his sovereignty and how the Lord saved sinners. Jonah voiced it when he said salvation is of the Lord. It's not my decision, ladies and gentlemen. It's not because I walked down the aisle of a church. It's not because I was baptized. It was not because of anything in the world Dan Cozart had ever done except sin against God. And God had mercy on me before the foundation of the world and seemed to be pleased that I would be one of his elect. That ain't Arminianism. That's Calvinism. And Calvin was perfectly right in assuming those truths, my dear friends. And people are right today if they'll understand this. Who saved you? You say, well, I never. I gave Jesus my heart. He wasn't looking for your heart. Who wants your dirty heart? Everything can be good on the outside you have a dirty heart inside who hath believed our report not many and if you really want to get blackballed as a preacher brother Bray see you over there if you want to get blackballed as a preacher brother Phil I see you sitting over there you just say God does it or it won't be done You'll be surprised how you'll be ridiculed for that. Man likes to have his little part. Now, God has his part, and I have my part, and if God will do his part and I do my part, we'll just kind of get together on that. We'll pull up a good magic trick. It doesn't work that way. Who hath believed our report? I want to know, have you believed the report? Have you believed the report? I said there were two questions. One is, who hath believed our report? The second question is this, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? To whom is the arm of the Lord? The arm of the Lord is His power. In Luke 1 verse 51, Mary in the Magnificent made this statement about the Lord. She said, He hath showed His strength with His arm. Speaking of the Messiah. He hath showed His strength with His arm. The arm, the appendage of the human body called the arm, is symbolical for power and strength. Men are judged sometimes by the strength of their arm. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. 
Exodus 6, verse number 6. The Lord is saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out of from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Now, I don't know how many of them believed, but I'll tell you, Pharaoh believed it before it was over with. Arm, the arm. In the 15th chapter of Exodus... Verse number 16, the Bible says, Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm shall they be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. The power of the arm. In the book of Psalm 77, the 77th Psalm, Verses 10 and 15. Verse 10 says, And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now let me bring that into perspective here. David was having a hard time now. There were some times when he didn't. Sometimes he had great victory in leading the battles into the armies and things of this nature. But right at this particular point, he was going through extreme depression. And he said, I remember, Lord, the right hand of the Most High God. He had forgotten that God had a right hand. He's a God of power. In verse number 15, Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and the sons of Joseph. How did he redeem them? With his arm. The arm of the Lord. In Job chapter 40, verse 9, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Job. Throughout the earlier chapters, Job is feeling a little sorry for himself and probably rightly so. But he finally said, you know, if I could just get an audience with God, I've got some things I'd like to talk to the Lord about. He obviously doesn't know what I'm going through, and so I'd, I'd like to get a, make an appointment with God. And God spoke to Job and started raising such questions as this. By the way, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? What did you do, Job? Well, what was your occupation when I sent the bolts of lightning and the claps of thunder. And finally, in Job chapter 40, verse number 9, he raises this question, Job, do you have an arm like God? You know what arm wrestling is? It's two arms getting together to find out which one's the strongest. Huh? Usually people don't arm wrestle with left arms. It's that, 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 that right arm. Right arm. That's the place of power. That's where power is generated. In the right arm. Have you an arm like God? By the way, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you tried to out-wrestle God's arm? Something was going on and you said, well, I'll just go see the doctor. You went to see the doctor, you know what he said? He said, I have no idea what's wrong with you. And then you run to the drugstore and you get medicine. Oh, this medicine's good stuff. I mean, this cures just everything in the world. 
I do like the one with the little capsules. I've been thinking about getting me some of those capsules. Because I don't like vegetables and I just take one load of little capsules and eat all the vegetables in the garden. Huh? But all of a sudden they don't work. And you finally wake up and realize you're at the hands of a sovereign God to do with you whatsoever He wants. He's got the power. Don't try to arm wrestle God. You'll lose every time. Who and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I love what Ezekiel said in chapter 30, verse 21. Ezekiel said, speaking of God, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh. I never had, in reading Exodus, found that statement before. It's not there to my knowledge, but that's what exactly God did. He broke the arm of Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a strong arm, but God's arm was bigger. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is the power of the report. Who hath believed our report? I'll tell you who believes the report. Those to whom the arm of the Lord is revealed. That's how you come to know truth. It's revealed. And God reveals it, and He's a powerful God. It is the gospel which the Lord uses to save sinners. And such is revealed to people out of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation in the world. In Isaiah 52, verse number 10. Revealing power. Let me read you in Matthew chapter number 11. That's the New Testament the 11th chapter of Matthew, verses 25 through 27. At that time, please pay attention, church. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father. Now, Christ, the Son, is talking to the Father here. He's praying to the Father here. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. Now, what's he thanking him for? He's going to tell you. Because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto the babes. I thank you, Father. You're a hiding God. You hide some things from some people and they never will know them in this world or the world to come. But he's a revealing God. And the only way you can know them is that they are revealed unto you. Not figured out by you, but revealed unto you. Because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now why would God the Father do that? Christ gives us the answer in verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. How does he reveal truth to us? Through his word. His word is true. And he reveals it to us. We don't figure it out. 
It's not something we go to a school of theology or to a seminary and say, I'm ready to go out and preach now. Better be a student of the Word of God. Get in the Scripture. See what God has to say in His blessed Word. So who hath believed our report? Nobody. Few here, few there. Who hath believed our report? And who will believe the report? Those to whom the arm of the Lord is revealed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the gospel is about one person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was humiliated. But on the first day of the week. Exalted. Brought out of the grave. And today he sits. At the Father's right hand. And the right hand is attached to the right arm. He sits in the place of power today. And only Christ could say, and I close with this, all power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. What is the gospel? It's of the Lord. What he came to do his birth, his life, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his soon coming, all the aspects that deal with the Son of God, that's the gospel. And I'm glad that I am able to announce to you, I believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, let's see, that's verse 1. Uh-huh. We've got verses 2 through 12. That's why I'd like to invite you to come back next Sunday morning. And we'll take those verses in detail. The Lord will. Let's stand please for prayer.